Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast. I'm your host, Pep Barisha, and as always, I am joined by Matt Santangelo. But it's been a while, hasn't it, Matt? It has, it has. It's uh, great to be back on the airways uh, talking about what we love, of course, is football. And, um, you know, well, I guess while we're, while we're on the topic of, uh, you know, our introduction and everything like that, and, and maybe you guys are asking as to why it's been such a long time in between episodes, um, I guess me and Petra will tell you guys a little bit about why we had this uh, this brief hiatus, if you will, since uh, May and then, of course, up until now. So um, behind the scenes, we've been trying to sort things out with the podcast and we had some scheduling conflicts. Of course, real life got in the way of us uh, getting this thing back in, back on track to start the season. Um, and those pesky time zones, right? Yeah, yeah. You know what it is? It's, it's, you lose track of time and all of a sudden before you know it, you're like, so what's the plan for the upcoming season? And we're like... <laughs> I don't have time, you don't have time, then, you know, you kind of try to make it work. But um, good news is with the help of our, our recent partnership or agreement with uh, Big Media, uh, Big Heads Media, uh, Media Group, there's some great, great podcasts on there, so you guys should definitely check them out. Uh, we're going to be delivering more content more often. Uh, many of you listening are used to our Fortnite uh, episode, which I, I had some great success, no doubt, um, and it was uh, great to do, no problem, but... I think you know when I speak for both of us, in that it's more enjoyable to have that consistency week to week, be on top of you know big games like the um, the Derby d'Italia, which we're going to talk about, of course. <laughs> um, and things are always evolving in between you know a span of two weeks. So the fact that we're able to deliver more content and, and more frequently with the help of uh, Big Heads Media, I think it's definitely going to be a more enjoyable experience for us and for you as the listener. Yeah, shout out to Big Heads Media because uh, we were, as Matt said, we were kind of toying with this and that with what we could do with the podcast and alongside uh, a good friend Martino who's, who's helping like produce the podcast and you'll hear his voice no doubt at some point, um, either when it's all three of us or one of us is out or whatever, he'll be also joining us and, and getting into the grips of you know the top five leagues, uh, the MLS, which you know he has some expertise in and he's a far better editor than me, which is, uh, which is good, to, good to know, right? Oh, yeah, I've known Martino for quite a while. If you guys are familiar with my work uh, on Twitter, um, and you know, obviously you know I'm a big Milan fan. Me and him have done a great job in recapping and previewing uh, the Milan games for the past couple months now. Um, so definitely check them out there if you're a soccer showdown uh, for those who are interested. Um, I usually tweet them out myself, but if you want an actual location where to go to where to find them and all the platforms that are available on, uh, make sure you check out Soccer Showdown on Twitter. Um, we'll put a couple links up in the description as well. But yeah, Martino is going to be a great addition to the team, uh, as Petra alluded to. Uh, he has some editing experience, producing experience. He's a great guy. He knows he knows the game. He knows football. He knows Milan. And I think he's really going to help uh, round out and uh, forge a really good relationship with uh, with this podcast. And it'll, it'll allow us to uh, increase the uh, listening quality and, and make the experience more enjoyable for you and us. Yeah, shout out Martino. Uh, and if you guys haven't subscribed to us yet, please do so. As we're trying to like kickstart this pod again, it'd be great if everyone could subscribe, uh, leave us a review, give us some feedback even if you you know don't enjoy this episode tell us why and obviously you can find us on social at state of play pods that's state of you, play pod and you guys i'm sorry to a quick little uh, interruption here but you guys can also check out some previous episodes mm. we've had uh, a long list of great guests uh, including alex goldberg who obviously if you're a chelsea fan you know him really well <laughs> 
Uh, we've had Marco Messina from IFTV. We've had John Legossip, uh, ESPN Liga 1 expert. Uh, Janusz Michalik, another ESPN Polish football expert. So we've had some really great episodes in our catalog. If, um, As Petra mentioned, you guys can check us out on all the main platforms, Spotify, um, you know, Apple Play. I mean, excuse me, Apple, Apple, <laughs> Apple Music, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play as well. So we're available, we're accessible. But of course, if there's something that you guys, as a listener, um, would would like to recommend, and, and us being on a specific platform to suit your listening needs, just let us know. Give us some feedback, as you know, Petra just mentioned, and we'll do our best to accommodate that. Yeah, we got some great questions in for today's show. So if you guys do have questions for us when we do our kind of we're recording tomorrow tweet, please do leave them down below. But Matt, I'm going to have to get us started because we're going to start talking about it. the uh, Premier League here. Is the title race already over in England? Because you know, after this Liverpool last minute win with the James Mill on the penalty and Man City succumbing to a Adama Traore double no less at home to Wolves it's already an eight point gap and it's it's I'm not going to say it's unassailable but Liverpool look frighteningly strong and Man City don't look as strong as they were I'm not going to say it's over I think it's still so early in the season that when you get to the dog days of the actual season um, you get deeper in you have all the competitions of cup play Things can get tricky for Noel Klopp and uh, Pep Guardiola to navigate in course of rotating, making sure players are available. Of course, injuries come into play always, and you know the, obviously that's why these two teams have the depth they do. And eight points, again, it is it is a pretty big gap when you consider the fact that Liverpool and City were so tightly uh, contesting and tightly uh, in the race last year for the title. Of course, City came out on top narrowly, although Liverpool had a career year. Or not a career, but a historically really good year in terms of points. Um, I, I'm not going to say it's over. Um, I will say this, though, is that the fact that Liverpool are, are able to capitalize on City dropping points where they otherwise are not expected to, I think that's the sign of a team that's hungry. They're a little bit disappointed they didn't win in last year. Mm. But I think if you're a Liverpool fan, despite maybe that, that shaky start in the Champions League, of course, losing to uh, Napoli, you've got to like how things have started in terms of your individual performances and the results that you've gained, but also that your your closest nemesis, Manchester City, um, is dropping points so early on in the season where it can allow you to get a nice breathable cushion to work with. And then obviously as you get towards the, 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 the tail end of the season, you know, you, you can feel a little bit more comfortable knowing that, you know, you have a little bit of breathing room there. So I'm not going to say it's over. It, I've seen stranger things <laughs> in this this sport, but um, it's good on Liverpool to have a cushion right now. This has been the, 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 the trophy they've been wanting for quite some time. With them winning the Champions League last year, a title would be um, would be uh, a great way for, for Liverpool fans to celebrate the Klopp dynasty. It would be ever so sweet for them. And they haven't signed any players this summer, Matt, which is pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's pretty much the same starting lineup, apart from, you know, there was that kind of, is it going to be Joel Matip or is it going to be Joe Gomez at centre-back? And Matip seems to have kind of cemented that spot now. Who have you been really impressed by at in the Liverpool squad at the moment this season so far? I mean, you know, people have been saying that uh, Virgil van Dijk hasn't been maybe as good, and I think it's t- it's tough to say that, right? Because he was so good last year. <laughs> he, you know, one of the you know, in terms of defensive performances, one of the best seasons I've seen in the Premier League in re- in, in recent memory. Uh, I think for me, it's it's one of those things where you look at the squad as a whole and you start to kind of not so much f- uh, hone in on one specific player. 
but you can kind of see that there is a lot of cohesiveness, a lot of chemistry within this team that they can beat you in certain ways. Certain players on a given day, like a, a Wijnaldum, for instance, you know, could pull out a goal from nowhere and, and ultimately decide a match one way or the other. So I think that's what get, makes Liverpool such a fascinating team to follow is that, you know, yes, they everyone's going to hone in on Sadio Mane, Firmino, Salah. Uh, and Virgil van Dijk, of course, and you know, but you can also look at a guy like Alison Becker, who saved mm. them so many times last year. So for me, it's tough to kind of really highlight one specific player, but I just feel that they're they're winning they're winning games in a multitude of different ways, and I think that's a true test of a team that maybe isn't quite at their full level mm. this, at this point in the season. But the fact that you can win in a different amount, different amount of ways, just shows you how strong they are and how different how many um, ways they could come at you and do it well. Yeah, I think Firmino's been probably the standout if he had to choose one. But you are right, it's it's fine margins. I mean, Mane's been really good. Salah's maybe not firing just yet. Van Dijk's probably not. Fabinho's been yeah, fantastic Fabinho's too. Fabinho's been really good. Uh, even Adrian's been good as a stand-in for Alisson. So uh, they look really, really strong. And it'd be interesting to see how far they can go in this title race. A lot of people have already said whether or not they win it, they're going to beat <laughs> City's kind of points record. But imagine if they did that and went unbeaten, it'd be... Uh, It'd be ridiculous. But um, look, while we're, while we're on the subject of the Premier League, and I think on this podcast in the past, what we really like to own in on is um, kind of managers and, and how well, or in this case, not well they're doing. And two managers in particular, Maurizio Pochettino and Alagona Solskjaer, are not having the best of times. I'm going to read this stat map before I let you get into it. Manchester United now have 11 games without an away win, worst run in three decades worst league start in over 30 years 12th after eight games two wins in the last 13 premier league games and they've scored more than one goal just once in the last 17 matches so before we get into pochettino is it time for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to 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 leave Manchester United I think so I I think you know it's it's and and you know it's like we were talking about on a completely different scale right how you know, crazy and chaotic football could be over a span of uh, X amount of months, right? When when he came in last year and he had such a great start, everyone was saying, give him a contract extension, pay him, he's done a great job, he's the manager. And then all of a sudden, you know, when players are coming and going in the summer, they don't really get the players that they need, you have injuries involved. Now you're getting that clean slate and all of a sudden, uh, maybe he's not the guy. So I just love how things can change in an instant in football. I think that's what makes it, you know, uh, such a romantic uh, sport to follow because it's it's it has its ebbs and flows, its ups and downs, a lot of drama t- tied into it. For a club like Manchester United to be so dysfunctional uh, at the top, at the bottom, with regards to um, you know the decision makings with the Glazers, uh, the decision makings on the transfer front. Uh, what players are coming, what players are going, all the things that being that were handled with uh, Paul Pogba's future. Mm. It looked like he was out on his way out. Now he's staying, at least for the time being. Of course, that's not set in stone. It, it feels as though that Manchester United, they're, they're, this is, you, you think that this is the rock bottom for them. You think <laughs> they've hit the floor. Well, because, you know, you, but you look at yeah, it, right? Yeah, but you yeah, look yeah. at it and you see a team that can spend. It's not like, there's a difference between them and, and, and Milan, right? Because Milan are, and I always draw, you know, compare the two because you know it's fascinating. They're both giants in their own right historically, um, who have fallen on harder times. And you see a team like Manchester United who have the assets, who have um, you know some quality players in certain areas, but it just seems as though is that there's there's a complete disconnect on all fronts, and you wonder. The easiest thing for you to do is to let go of the manager, right? Because at this point in time, you can't 
get the players that you need. You can't, uh, you know, the, the, the owner's not going to sell the club in during the season, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's the easiest thing in the lowest, lowest hanging fruit is to change the manager, right? You change the manager, you hope that you bring in a different dynamic, a different morale, different, you know, he's a, there, there's a, you're trending in the positive direction, much like what we saw when he came in last year, yeah. right? Just something simple as, you know, he's a fresh face, the, the man, the players resonate with him, they gravitate toward him and they're going to play hard for him. It seems as though that it's a revolving door at Manchester United once again. And look, I don't claim to be the biggest follower of the Premier League. I follow quite a bit here in the States. But just a simple look of my timeline from Manchester United fans, even Premier League fans, will tell you that they're 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 hitting rock bottom here. And as you just mentioned, worst run in three decades. At some point, you got to stop the bleeding. And I think for me, uh, it, it's going to mean the manager is going to be sacked. I don't know when or how it's going to come um my guess is with the international break here this would be the oper- the most you know the most uh, feasible time to do that because if you're going to bring somebody else in you want to give them as much time as possible but again maybe the re- there maybe the rope is a little bit longer for him maybe he gets another game or two depending on how the schedule plays out after the international well, got, break got liverpool next well see there you go <laughs> so there's 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 two things with that though it's either there the club uses this 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 turmoil and this nightmare scenario that they're in off the break against a team like Liverpool rise up and turn use it as a, as a, as motivation or they completely lay down they get embarrassed by a team that looks like they could win the title and Ali's sacked you know yeah. immediately so there's two ways to look at it yeah yeah it's true but i think for me that the pressure is bigger on Solskjaer and, and Pochettino to be fair because of the calibre of manager that's kind of available at the moment you know right. a guy like Allegri I think it was on the David Amoyal Catchalan podcast he was talking about how they uh, how there's been murmurs or was it um, who was it was it Benetti who, uh, who or wasn't it? No, it was a Fabrizio Romano who who put out that article. Romano, yeah, he put was. that article about how Allegri's learning English or he's learning more English in a preparation for a potential move to Manchester United. And that kind of thing, it kind of could make sense because I think what they did with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is they brought in someone. They, he created fantastic momentum for the club, right? He got them back on track from like a kind of footballing standpoint, from a results standpoint, and just kind of the energy within the club. But after that, you have to ask yourself, if you're the execs at Man United, is this the guy that's going to build the building blocks, the foundations for this club to go on another assault at winning title after title? And I can't for a second think that any very good boards right and i'm talking the kind of more progressive boards in in word football at the moment you know the manchester cities the liverpools even you know arsenal to some extent now with their kind of new head honchos would look at that situation and say he's the guy that's gonna build this club up again because i think there are player managers that have come in like you know um lewis van hal and uh unai emery who have kind of been more like stopgap managers but mm-hmm. this seemed to me, it was kind of like, here's the keys to the castle and let's see what you can do, Ole. And it's just failed miserably. Well, I think, you know, we've talked about the, the, the coaching carousel on previous podcasts. I think we even talked about last year with Real Madrid, with Manchester United, with Mourinho. We talked about several different, you know, coaching jobs, right? And I think it's always something that's always reoccurring and it's something worth, you know, talking about now because obviously early on in the season... When clubs don't get off to the proper start or get off to the start that fans and everyone expects them to get off to, 
that's where the pressure begins to mount. We're seeing it with Milan. We're seeing it, obviously, with Spurs, who were in the Champions League final last year, had a great year. And then, obviously, you're seeing it with one of the biggest clubs in the world, with Manchester United here. If we're talking on Allegri and whether or not he's uh, the guy for the job and maybe it's more of a timing thing, I will say this, though. Jurgen Klopp was brought in in the middle of the season back in 2015 for Liverpool with the idea that they weren't expecting him to save their season right away. They weren't expecting, we're going to bring in Klopp, he's going to help us finish top four, we're going to, or we're going to compete for a trophy right away. It was a long-term decision. We're going to say, look, we're going to bring you in, get us into a comfortable position during the season to finish, where we can go on the market and we can convince the players that we need and you need for the project to join up and get us where we want as a, as a, as a big-time club once again. If you're Manchester United and you're going to cough up the money and the, the wages that it will require for Allegri, not to mention ha- convince him to join in the middle of the season without a summer to assess the squad to get the right players he wants, it's going to take quite a bit and there's a risk involved. I think if, if they're going to go that approach, what it's telling me is that they're investing in Allegri long term mm-hmm. or they're investing in whoever the manager they go with, uh, if it's if someone of that ilk long term. If they fire Ollie and they go with someone who is again a stopgap guy to finish out the year to help keep things on, you know, keep things afloat, and then in the summer they reassess, that's another story. But we've seen it many times where these quote these these clubs that they can't convince a manager to come out of a sabbatical year to join a project midway through the season. What happens in the summer is that there's more uh, more teams in need of a manager and they're able to open up the open up the budget for them. You'll give them the kitchen sink and, and convince them, right? We saw it even with Ancelotti when he got fired by Bayern. He took the year off. He got the Napoli job. Was given the keys to have a good market and to build a, a, a Scudetto contender. Same thing what we're obviously seeing here is you can maybe see where Allegri fits in. But at the same time, for me, that's something that he doesn't seem like the sort of manager who would jump in the deep end right now. I think it's it's one of those cases where Manchester United are gonna hope are gonna have to hope that Ollie can sort things out. The season right now, obviously, they're not gonna win a title. They're, they're, at this point in time, they're hoping that they could finish in a, Euro, a Europe, European competition <laughs> zone and steady the ship and then reassess things in the summer. So it, it, it's a tricky it's a tricky time for Manchester United because, you know, there's a lot of moving parts with regards to the manager situation. And obviously that's the guy that's the most likelihood to be uh, axed before any individual player. I, I kind of compare it to, you know, Arsenal, the club that I support. And if you look at the activity that happened over the summer, where it's clear that there is kind of a cohesive unit at the top running things from a footballing or kind of off the pitch standpoint rather there doesn't seem to be that at Man United you've got just a really incapable board and exec team who just clearly don't really know what they're doing you know spending Mm -hmm. 85 million on Harry Maguire good good centre back but it's just no strikers. One, one, one signing, like, right? You let Lukaku go, and you've got Rashford, Martial, and Martial gets injured. Yeah, it's, and, yeah. I don't know. It's, it just seems like there's no planning, and it's, it's a shame. But what about, um, what about Pochettino, Matt? What, do you think he, his fate is kind of sealed as well? 
that's a tough one because, right, because all those years about Pochettino wasn't really given, right? Everyone was saying, yeah, but, you know, Pochettino's doing a great job without having a, the, the market that the, some of the other big clubs are having, right? He gets into a Champions League final, has a great year. They get an extension. He gets finally some quality players. Obviously, we talked about they have Sassanion. They have Nondombele. They, like, they got some players for him. And you think that Spurs, Spurs will be on the rise, right? You think Spurs, okay, Spurs, they got finally got some players. Now they're going to move forward. There's a project that's not going to – they're going to be proactive. And now you're starting to see it's, well, how football works in cycles. And I think that's the kind of the toughest part for people to kind of grasp is because they see that the players on the field are good. They see that the manager did really good last year. Oh, so they're going to be better this year. And it's it's not like that. <laughs> and I think it's so difficult for people to accept the fact that, again, football is a, is a sport that works in cycles in three to four years. And, you know, I think for me, just as an outsider, again, I'm not a huge Premier League guy per se, but I do follow it quite frequently and, and quite often. I look at Pochettino as, as a really good manager and not something that, you know, this current uh, struggle, uh, struggle, struggle season of theirs uh, should diminish what he did accomplish for Spurs and ultimately de- de- determine what kind of manager and what quality of manager he is. For me, I've always liked Pochettino. I think he's a, a very good manager overall. I think he's done a fan- fantastic job with Tottenham over the years. I think he's, but I think he's taken them as far as mm-hmm. he could. Mm-hmm. Now, what are you going to do? Sack the guy who's given everything to this club and who's helped you know Spurs become the team they are now in the middle of the season? I don't know. I think if you're a Spurs fan, I think you you hope that things sort themselves out. You ride it out with the manager that has gotten to gotten you to this point as being a team that's um, you know a very very solid uh, opponent both in in Europe and domestically. But it's interesting with with the, the the ambitions are different, and I think for me the projects are different between Manchester United and Spurs. I think when you look at Manchester United, they've been kind of in that difficult zone for for quite some time now where they're seeing Liverpool they're seeing their uh city rivals city Manchester City you know compete for things and I think they want that too but whereas with Spurs I think they're kind of understanding that they're not quite on that level of being a team that can you know, effectively compete for a title so at this point in time you have to you have to kind of reassess everything and say is, is Pochettino the guy to bring this thing forward and to take the Spurs uh, club and the brand itself? Because we also have to think in, this, in the business aspect of things forward. Or do we need to get a different manager? Now, that's another conversation to have. Who would Spurs be able to entice midway through the season um, You know, with another guy like Pochettino under contract? Mm. He's going to get paid quite a bit. So uh, it's interesting times here for, the, uh, for the, some of these top coaches in the Premier League. Yeah, I think with Pochettino, it does really look like the players aren't playing for him anymore. There's a few guys who are Which kind of... Which is crazy to think that. Yeah, but I mean, it's 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 nuts, really. You know, this is the first time he's had money to spend. They spent about £150 million, not, not a small amount. I think they only sold, really, Kieran Trippier, of notable kind of incomings from a mm-hmm. stat cash standpoint. And you've got Vertonghen, Alderweireld and Christian Eriksen all out of contract at the end of the year. It's kind of just one too many bad things going on at once do you know what I mean that's kind of like you, look if you're like a Arsenal you can handle like Meza Ozil on a big contract and kind of kind of ride that wave and that's your one bad thing right or if you're Manchester right. City and you get like a bad injury or Vincent Company retires like that's the one bad thing that you carry but with Spurs if you've got like three four five six different things happening at the same time it's it's really hard to overcome and it's going to be yeah, really interesting to see what happens with these two guys. 
Yeah, and I don't think anyone expected Portatino and Spurs to get no off to way. this sort of no bad no start. Way. And that's the that's the most alarming thing to see here. Is is is, is again a, a club that, that that finally spent for their manager. They 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 anteed up, they backed up the truck, and they said we're going to get the guys that you want. And then they get the guys that he wants, or at least spend the, the amount of money you'd want as a big name manager. And you're regressing. You're taking a step back. And everything that you just mentioned on the expiring contract front, that's another thing. Is now when you're seeing that you're kind of on the decline, you're on the tail end of this cycle, and you're in free fall. Are these men, these players, willing to re up, mm. or are they going to say, "Look, I mean, Erickson was vocal about it in the summer. He gone, pretty much he? said he wanted to leave." He's gone, and you know he's not going to resign. You may have another Eden Hazard situation. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So but then again, maybe he's is he sold in January? Maybe. Right, because if they're not in doing anything com- com- domestically and, and in European competition, they sell maybe sell them for something instead of letting them walk free. Mm. Who knows? So it's there's a lot of moving parts in this thing, but yeah, it's something to keep an eye on. And I think you know, obviously, this won't be the last time with our different format uh, <laughs> that we talk about these two so, these two coaching situations. Well, across the channel and, and talking about another coach who hasn't exactly got off to a flyer, it's uh, Leon Silvinia, the the ex Arsenal man. No win in seven in the league for Lyon. Uh, they signed Jeff Renadelaide for big money. Uh, I think Thiago Mendes as well. Uh, obviously, Joachim Anderson from Sampdoria for big money. This is a team that strengthened pretty big over summer. Only really lost Nabil Fakir, obviously one of their bigger players, but was kind of in and out last season due to injury. They've only got nine points from their first ten games of Liga, which is or first nine games, sorry, uh, which is their worst total since the start of 95-96 season. And uh, Matt, I don't know if you saw that video of uh, Silvino kind of hyping up the, the Lyon fans for their derby with Saint-Etienne. Uh, it was really funny. <laughs> he was kind of like walking over and kind of doing this weird crocodile motion thing with his hands to, to like the I don't know it was really strange but anyway they lost the game it was like a 90 minute uh, goal that they've conceded to uh, to lose 1-0 just like about an hour ago to Saint Etienne and I, I don't really know where he's going to be going with uh, from this because it's actually strange because they, they, they beat Leipzig in the Champions League 2-0 away from home which is obviously a really tough game but it just seems like one of those. It just really isn't clicking into gear. He's he's kind of benching the likes of you know Musa Dembele, Depay every now and then, Hussein Awar, Jeffran Adelaide, all these really good players. He's sometimes benching, sometimes playing them. He hasn't really found a coherent system yet. And I wonder if he's another guy that's maybe going to be let go. It's possible, you know. And, you know, and I think it's 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 the fascinating thing is is that yeah, and how how some of these teams start right. Lyon have a wealth of talent, obviously, that goes without saying. They had a pretty good Champions League last year, too. They did some good things against Manchester City. I think that the the, the, the project is there. The talent, as you just mentioned, you mentioned some of the names, is there. So the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit, the, the easiest decision to make is, well, we're not going to get rid of talent because talent, we need to win games. It's the manager. Mm. And I think when you have a manager who can't uh, decide on... Uh, a system, the personnel, it's alarming because it, it shows that you don't trust or you don't support your ideas and your vision for this club and this project. And I think, again, I'm, and I hate to keep going back to Milan, but it's somewhat of a similar case. They're off to a really poor, a really poor start, and week to week, they're changing this formation a bit. Their players are not, you know, the same players haven't even started back-to-back weeks. The results are being so varied. Like, they want to see continuity. 
if you're a manager that comes into a project, right, and you're given, you know, the quality of players to compete and compete at a high level, stick with what you, stick with what got you there. Show that, you know what, yeah, for first couple games, it's been a little bit rough, but I support my ideas. I support what I do as a manager, and I think I'm going to be able to turn things around. Say what you will about Morito Otsari, but for all the criticism he has gotten over the years as a guy who's steadfast, dedicated, committed to the 4-3-3 and 11 to 13 players... He does it well. He finds a way to make it tick. And when you can show fans that I believe in what I'm doing, I believe in this system, I believe in these players, then that can at least they can at least buy at least try and buy into it. But when you're changing week to week and you're tinkering and over and over managing certain parts of, 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 of the role, that's where fans are saying, well, they don't know what to expect. There's no expectation. And I think for me, looking at the Leon situation here, nine points from nine Liga One matches, worst total since ninety five ninety six. There, that's another thing. It's 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 it, there's something there, and it's always easier to let go of the manager, stop the bleeding there, pull the pull the rug out, call the quits on him, and then get someone else who can steady the ship because it's not a talent thing. And I think that's where you look at with certain clubs is that. There are certain clubs that don't have the talent that Lyon does, but why are they able to get the most out of their squad? Why do certain clubs in Serie A or the Premier League are able to overachieve? We see even with Everton, right? Everton get all these players. They get Moise Kane. They get this, that, what have you, and they're sitting at the bottom of the table. Mm. Like, there's something there, and that's why the manager coaching in this this era of football is always going to be more difficult probably in more previous years because everything's magnified. There's advanced stats. There's uh, social media presence. There's social media influence. Mm-hmm. There's things in the media that are getting seen. And, you know, when you look at Leon's situation, only time will tell to see ultimately what they do- decide to do with Sovino. But you, you got to see some progress. And if they're not seeing progress, you got you got to stop the bleeding somewhere. Yeah, I think... If I'm not mistaken, they won their first game six 0 or something like that. So I mean, it's been a, it's weird though, you know, going to Leipzig and winning two 0 away only the other week. That's a really tough game, and it's just, just you know, lack of consistency. I know they've got a young squad, but it's it's just crazy to have the such a such a bad start from them. But uh, let's move over to uh, you know the Bundesliga. Uh, Johnny Bentley here at Sports Johnny, and I was on his show. Uh, a few months back now I think he's he's living his best life in China at the moment but he sent us a question anyway he said Mats Hummels is a defender with a wealth of experience but does he struggle in Dortmund's high line looked suspect in the Champions League Dortmund still conceding a lot of goals this was discussed on the refurbished pilot of the Transfer News Centre podcast so it would be nice to hear your thoughts uh, it's kind of put us on the spot there Matt but the first thing I thought of when I read this uh, question was when did Dortmund not concede a lot of goals yeah, they're a team that's they're you know that's interesting too, right? Because there's there's certain you know everyone thinks is that there's certain clubs that are going to be the, the aim or the vision or the way the, the the project is assembled and put together the system, if you will, is assembled to be balanced, right? We're going to defend well, we're going to sit back, we're going to no. There's certain clubs that that live and die by what they do going forward. And I think if you look at you know, Borussia Dortmund as a whole, again, I, I don't claim to be a German football expert, so I appreciate Johnny putting us on the spot here. But um, you know, I think if you look at Borussia Dortmund, they know what they do well. They know who they are. And when you see a guy like Mats Hummels, uh, who has, as he just mentioned here, the wealth of experience, the Champions League experience, he's he's won things with his club. You know, it's 
it's it's tough because you 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 try to look at certain certain situations and certain aspects of a player a player and what they're doing to ultimately contribute to getting positive results and I don't know man it's it's if you want if you can allude more to it then by all means but it's 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 just a, it's just a weird situation here how certain players begin to fit and not fit into certain systems I found you know I, I found the signing kind of weird in general sorry to cut you off Matt like I just yeah. It was a lot of money, right? He's 31, 30, it was like 35 million euros. And they sold Abdou Diallo, who's a very promising French young centre-back to Paris, Saint-Germain, for about 30 million euros. So they actually kind of made a loss on that bit of trading. And you'd think that if you do that move, you are doing it so you're here for the here and now, right? You partner him up with um, a Kanji and you try and really go for you know a league title or another trophy but it's it's not really it's not really worked out that way and they've conceded 11 uh, 11 goals in seven games already Obvi- okay look that's not a ridiculous amount the Bayern Munich have conceded eight but it's still not great and I don't think he's made them any better defensively and they do look really vulnerable on the counter which is one thing that I've noticed yeah, I, I I would definitely agree with that. You know, you look at certain projects and they think it's, uh, is it is it practical or is it is the transfer you're making practical or is it more to uh, appease maybe a fan the fan base mm. or to hey you know we're gonna bring back a guy that we know and love and you know we're gonna have it as a move that wins over fans or certain parts of the fan base. I don't know if that was exactly the case with Mats Hummels, but for a club like Borussia Dortmund, who who pride themselves on being able to replenish and you know as quickly as they usher people out the door by selling you know, players for for big profit, they're able to scout and get that next talent to replace them in the squad. And you think if you're a club like Borussia Dortmund, who you know have a really good, they have a top to bottom, they have a really talented squad. You just think that maybe they should have went with a different direction with this role because I understand that you can't have a squad completely built on just young players and expect to compete for trophies. No, you have to have a blend, a nice, healthy mixture and balance of veterans and youngsters to uh, compete for the now and for the future. But I think, you know, this is a great point here. It's a perfect example is that, you know, for a team like Borussia Dortmund, you expect them to always be a little bit more calculated in certain their transfers. And Mats Hummels, when they brought him in, most people would agree that he was more on the decline, and he had he was his better years were behind mm-hmm. him. Still, albeit still an effective and useful player, but to spend that sort of money on a guy that you know is probably not going to be able to stick around that much longer, and you're probably going to take a loss on him. Um, a little bit of a tricky situation for for uh, BVB to be with uh, Mats Hummels in there. Yeah, to make it worthwhile, you need to win trophies, right? It's kind of the, right. the Ronaldo situation, right? You buy someone who's 33 for a lot of money you need trophies as your return on investment otherwise it's it's pointless i mean obviously they could probably sell ronaldo now for 80 million no problem but you know what i mean but um yeah they're 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 tying up they're they're they have a three-year plan here we're gonna go out there and get delict we're gonna go out there and get the certain players we need because we have ronaldo we're putting a lot of money in this investments you're right it's a return on investment Mm -hmm. and i think that's what you have to look at with uh, a guy like Mats Hummels, I just think it's it's it seemed as though it's one of those things where you know the, the fans love him and let's, let's bring him back. And again, I don't claim to know everything that's going on at the club or, or about the club, 
But I think, again, a, a team that does pride themselves on, you know, uh, a different philosophy with regards to focusing on, um, you know, replenishing with youngsters and younger players, it seemed like kind of a bit of a knee-jerk reaction move there to say, hey, you know, let's get Hummels in here. Let's see if we can do something over these next couple of years. But, yeah, if you're having issues with a guy whose best years are behind him, he's he's not the same player that he was before he went to Bayern. Yeah. And I think that's what we're kind of seeing here. Yeah, it was kind of like, he's available, let's see if we can bring him in, and let's see if we can win trophies, and let's see if we can improve this defence, which has been leaky over the last few years, but it just hasn't really worked. And Matt, I think now is the moment where you we kind of unleash you. And to be fair, <laughs> we, we actually purposely recorded the podcast just after this game. I was like, oh, it's into Juve at 7.45 my time. Let's just record after it. But uh, kind of glad we did because it was a ridiculous game. <laughs> oh, it was... The WT Italia was uh, every bit as advertised. Uh, for those who didn't watch it, 2-1 victory for Juve. Um, there was some uh, there was some criticism, I guess, in, in the build-up to this match about, um, you know, once the lineups came out, of course, obviously we knew Antonio Conte was going to come out with his 3-5-2. Nothing, remain, nothing was changed with his formation. He went with the same squad. Of course, Stefano Sensi, who's been sensational for Inter since coming over from Sassuolo. Nicolò Barella, who we profiled in a previous episode. Uh, we didn't, you know, there was no surprises from Conte. He was going to go out there, he would just try and shoot a 3-5-2 formation with the same guys that have gotten him to the top of the table. Of course, six out of six wins. But for Juve, Marito Sarri is rotating. Breaking news, he's actually rotating. He's Week to week, he's changing players, which obviously Chelsea fans probably didn't see much of last year. He starts Paulo Dybala up top with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, and in behind him was Federico Bernardeschi. For me, I would have started Aaron Ramsey in this one. I think, you know, as a Arsenal fan yourself, you probably would have said, I would like to see Aaron Ramsey in his first WD Italia. He didn't even get a minute Because he's been playing well. Yeah. He's been playing really well. And I think it's it's refreshing to see a player come over and make that sort of transition quickly and seamlessly like he has done um, at Juve, of course, on a free transfer. But in this one, it was it, it lived up to everything. Paulo Dybal with a great goal that proved to be a great decision by Maurizio Sarri overall. He was on. He was showing tremendous harmony up top with Ronaldo. Uh, Latar Martinez gets a penalty uh, shortly after to equalize, and then of course in the second half, Maritza Sari pulls off a double switch. He brings on Bentancur and he brings on Gonzalo Iguain. And once again, of course, Gonzalo Iguain comes back to burn Inter with a late goal. And of course, Inter uh, are now con- <laughs> going to relinquish their uh, rights as. Uh, First place uh, holders in, in Serie A. So a big victory for Juve at the San Siro. I just think it's clear that, you know, while Inter are title contenders, they did play and they did contest them quite well in this game. I will say that. Um, but Juve are still, in my opinion, the favorites. And they're still in a class of their own. In that they can beat you in a couple different ways. They have so much depth. And, you know, despite having some injuries here, guys like Juan Cuadrado can come in and mm. play as a right back. So good. And play well. So, so good. It's 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 amazing it's amazing to see what Juve are, are capable of doing um, on a week to week basis and again Marito sorry stroke of genius he pulls in and pull, makes the right decisions with starting Dybala he brings in Bentaker who supplies the assist for the other substitute in the second half in Iguain and they're looking at another victory over Inter. It I thought Quadrado was ridiculous and you know when you lose a guy like Cancelo I think I I think we spoke about it maybe on a podcast or. Um, and we talked about how crazy it was that Juve were letting him go and bringing in a guy like Danilo. I think it was with Jordan Luke, probably the last episode we did. And it was yeah. it was crazy to think that if you'd said to uh, to us at the time that Juve are going to be way better off 
than City in that deal, we would have both just been like, you're crazy. Because Cantelo is probably one of the best right backs in the world, but Cuadrado, he just looked ridiculously assured in that position. I, I mean, you've obviously watched him a lot more than me. I've seen a lot more of him as a right winger, but I was really, really impressed. But I think when you have a guy like Cuadrado, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, in that very specific case of Juan Cuadrado, from being a right winger, you know, even at his days at Fiorentina, his short time at Chelsea, and now obviously with Juve, he's a right winger, right midfielder. He's always used in more of an attacking sense. But those players that maybe lack uh, an end product or the finishing touch, they can make that transition to a right back. He has the work rate. He's quick. He can dribble. He can beat his man. If he's able to just swing in crosses and, and do his job on both ends, then he can be an effective uh, right back for them. And, you know, and it's funny, too, because the only way, reason why he's actually playing right back and thriving and, and showing that he can do the job is because first choice Mattia Dicillo is injured. Mm. Danilo is injured. So it's amazing how much injuries you know can uh, either be a detriment to a club, but they can also help players uh, prove that they belong and, and reinvent players and rejuvenate players. And that's exactly what we're seeing here with Cuadrado. Another good performance. And look... Maurizio Sarri is not going to have, be in any rush to rush back certain players um, if Juan Cuadrado and <laughs> Blas Matuidi, who played at left back in the Champions League, or <laughs> no, get Spall, excuse me, are, are able to turn in decent performances. It's not ideal long term, but if you're able to play in, in certain players in different roles and have that versatility through a long season, that really bodes well for Juve and obviously a team that already has a ton of depth. Having that as a luxury where you can throw a guy like Juan Cuadrado as a third choice right back and he plays this well against Inter, first place Inter, speaks volumes. And I think we've seen this many times with U of A, right? First part of the season, they don't look as sharp. They're not scoring as many goals. They're, they're winning games. They're not winning games convincingly. And then all of a sudden, at some point, things start to click, firing on all cylinders. And then Juve just assert themselves as the title favorite. And I think it's still early, but you kind of got a glimpse of that today, that they're still the cream of the crop. They're still the favorites. And until they get beaten... Well, we have no reason to believe otherwise. They're the guys to be, aren't they? I think um, the one thing I will say on Interside is that I thought they were pretty good. Uh, I thought there were some moments in the first half that they really should have capitalised in. I remember seeing Stefano Sensi in so much space so often and people just not picking he's him out. fantastic. He's really good. Really, I think he's been the best player in Serie A so far this season. But I think uh, I think the tough... Just, just one quick thing I just want to touch on. I think the, one of the turning points of this game um, you know, was, was Diego Godin having to come mm, out for Inter. Mm. And Bastoni, a young player with promise, yeah, there's nothing against Bastoni. He's a nice player. But I think for when when you're a, a young player on the bench and you know you're not going to start a game, I know it comes with the job that you've got to be prepared at all times. But when you're sitting there and a player come pulls up lame, okay, come on. I need you to come on the field right now. Mm. It's tough for you to... Like get into in, get into character, get into that position where you can contribute and be a sharp. Some players can do it, but some players struggle. And on that Gonzalo Iguain goal, just a quite little you know, lapse in, in judgment and in positioning, it really allowed him to Iguain to exploit that space and to score the winner. And and and, and just like that, there it is. So I just wanted to point that out too. Is that you know I think that's really where you can look at this game and several other areas um, where the game turned and worked in Juve's favor yeah and uh yeah I was just about to mention a guy that I thought was really poor on the night Romelu Lukaku I uh, you know Mm. I know exactly why Man U let go of him right his link-up play is not good enough technically he's 
pretty deficient. He's got a good mm-hmm. goal scoring record. He's uh, a reasonably decent finisher, uh, good in the air, powerful. Yeah, and I mean, today he was just. I thought Benucci was decent. I thought Delict was really poor, and I thought that the really game take stuff. advantage of it. But he just everything just bounced off him. There were so many situations where he could have played yeah. uh, Sensi on the left into acres of space. There was times when Lautaro Martinez was flicking things onto him where they just didn't stick. There were long balls from the back that didn't stick. It was just like a. I know Conte really likes him, but didn't you feel Matt that if they had. A, I, I, I'm scared to even say it. Maybe even a Gonzalo Higuain there mm. instead of a Lukaku playing with Lautaro or even an Icardi. Inter might actually win this game. Yeah, you know, you know what it is too is that look, everyone, it's it's you feel that it's it's kind of feast or famine with Romelu Lukaku, right? Because you mm. know what he's good at. You know he can score goals when he's in that proper zone. He's able to finish no problem. But it's those other parts of the game where you to ask him to do certain things out of his comfort zone or out of his his uh, uh, you know his quality, if you will, and you can start to see where that's why Manchester United let him go. Listen, listen, I think overall there's a reason why Conte. I'm not gonna let one game decide the actual and decide whether or not the transfer was good for Inter because at the end of the day, Conte chose him. He's our handpicked guy, and you hire Conte. For for ten million in, in wages a year, you got to get the guys that he wants. You can't just you half ass it, quote unquote, <laughs> um, for lack of a better term, and not get him the players he wants. I think Lukaku, I believe, has three to three goals, four goals on the season, so it's a pretty good, respectable yeah. uh, uh, output so far. But in a game like this, it's a perfect example, and everything that people criticized him for um, at Manchester United, you saw on display in this game. You know, aside from the one, you know. A moment where the, you know, he spun around Delict and he cruised by him, you know. Again, that first touch, doing those little things that can help keep the pace of play, keep the pace of of the attack going. And yeah, as you just mentioned, not spotting those guys out wide, right? You know, in that area, you look for a striker to be able to, especially him being a, a big physical player uh, who can use his body for his advantage to hold up, let the wingers come forward. They have the good wing back players to support. He wasn't able to do that, and I think that's what allowed Juve to quickly, with some of their quicker players, quickly transition and, and a counterattack, and ultimately enjoy most of the better, most of the good chances. So, for me, I thought Lotaro was a, was pretty active. I think he I had his moments really where he looked very solid, and it, it's one of those things where look, you're going to have to take the good with the bad with Lukaku inside the inside the box. He's a guy that can finish. You saw the header he scored against Milan. Mm-hmm. Like he can do those things, and he can be effective at those. But Inter, as a title contender, a team that they they, they want more than just, oh, we're going to finish top four and be happy with it. When you spend that money on Lukaku, when you get rid of Mauro Riccardi and they've seen how clinical he can be, they expect players like Lukaku, expensive players like Lukaku also, to show up in games against Juve. And I think that's what a lot of fans are going to be leaving the San Siro disappointed tonight, is not seeing Lukaku turn in a better performance to really quell any doubt about whether or not he can be a big game player for them because they need him. I think he does make Lautaro better because of the spaces that Lukaku right. fills, and it means Lautaro can be a bit more off the striker. But I just, yeah, I just feel that if there was someone else there who did the sim- those similar kind of things, but mm-hmm. you know, stretched the defense, but still allowed for better link-up play, because some of it was just was just awful. But a really good game, end to end. Shame since he got injured. I thought. Um, I thought Vecino when he came on. I think I saw a tweet, something like, uh, um, you know, subbing Vecino on for Stefano Sensi is like going from an iPhone to a flip-up phone. 
uh, which, <laughs> which made me laugh a lot. But it's true, it was just a completely different game in the midfield without him, and they, they really struggled. Uh, and he offers a lot going forward, too. Mm, That's the thing mm. that I think, I think could have really helped Inter in this one, is that I think he's already uh, had career best in terms of his goal contributions this year, uh, on like previous years. He's been given a little bit more attacking freedom under Conte, and we're starting to see what he's capable of doing. And in this game, I think that really could have helped guys like Lukaku have a little bit more support in that area um, and even just to help Inter in general create some more uh, more chances going forward but you know in between that between Sensi coming off uh, early and Godin I think that's where you started to see things change and for the better for Juve and ultimately they were able to get the victory as we said yeah and uh, moving on to a guy that Maurizio Sarri used to manage in uh, Eden Hazard he scored his first goal for Real Madrid which was uh, a long time coming a few concerns about his fitness and stuff. I think football Twitter went a bit too crazy with the, those kind of allegations about him not being fit enough to to return to preseason and then kind of starting the season slow. What have you made of Madrid this season so far, Matt? And then you know Eden Hazard in particular. Madrid, it's it's an interesting one, right? Because you know, uh, there's after last season struggles, there's there, there's so many eyes on them. You have between Bale, between Hazard, you know, everyone's always going to look at the players that are most expensive and magnify everything. And I was one of them. I, I put out a tweet you know, last week talking about Hazard, and it wasn't a knock on his ability, it wasn't a knock on his dedication, his mindset, his commitment to the job, but. I don't know. It's it's something that I was looking at, and I think there are a lot of people that were agreeing with me on that and saying that if Hazard was injured, he wasn't ready for the entire season. And he comes in there. It's one thing to be not not being able to go the full ninety or this and that, what have you. But in the Madrid derby, he was a non-factor. And I think when you get players like Hazard, and we even touched upon it with Lukaku, when you spend a ton of money on players that are supposed to be key roles for you. You expect them to be ready to go, sharp. You expect them to contribute because that's what those players get the big bucks for. And when we saw him not, I guess, look like his, uh, a little bit more slender, a little bit more like the Chelsea player that we've come to know, that's where the, the alarm bells were rang. And look, I like Hazard. I think he's a very, very, very good player. He was obviously a, a fantastic player in the Premier League. He, he was, in my opinion, a Chelsea legend when you see the, the numbers he put up. But at the same time, it's it's Madrid. It's Real Madrid. This You said this was your dream move. They're, you're going to be under the microscope week in and week out. And we, we even see it with Gareth Bale, right? For all the criticism he has gotten um, for you know not learning Spanish, for <laughs> having a, kind of a rift with uh, Zidane. His numbers as a Madrid player and the goals he's been able to score in certain games for Madrid. It's crazy, but that's the expectation that, that comes with playing for Madrid, right? So... Look, scoring a goal here, his first goal for Madrid should be hopefully getting the monkey off his back. Um, it actually comes at a very good time, too. You can argue that, well, no, if he scores a goal, he wants to keep playing next week. But you have the international break here. I think he has something going into the international break that he can ride. And then coming out of the international break with a little bit more fitness, a little bit more ready to, readiness for the for the next match, I think we will start to see the, the true Eden Hazard that Madrid bought. I think some people or players just kind of take a little time to acclimatise. The thing about Eden Hazard, though, when he went to Real Madrid, you just thought, yeah, you know, it's 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 a home run. Like, there's no way mm-hmm. this guy could be a bust or a flop. And I don't think he will be. I still think the chances are kind of like, you know, one in a thousand that he actually is a flop. But 
it just kind of every game that goes on that you don't score or don't assist it just kind of creeps into your the mind pressure mounts and, yeah yeah and you know good for him that he he got that goal um, but a guy that's on loan from Real Madrid out at uh, Real Sociedad uh, Odegaard the you know four years ago this was the guy that everyone was getting on football manager looking like pretty much the best player in La Liga at the moment Matt <laughs> Oh, he's fantastic. Um, you, know, you know, it's funny too because I talk about it, but a lot of my friends, my football friends, I was in. The, it was in New York a couple of weeks ago, and we were. T- I think this was the time where he had that great ball played in. Mm. I forgot the guy's name on Real Sociedad, but he played in a fantastic pass, um, and everyone was like, "Wow, this guy's like a sensational talent, right?" I don't think we needed that pass for us to decide that, but it was just one of those, another one of those examples of this guy's got it. Like he's he's got a bright future. It, you know, they were, it was, there was a conversation years ago because I think they kind of were on the same, uh, you know, at the same age, right? Him and Makahaki Masto from Milan, <laughs> who is going to be better because they both played somewhat similar roles as, as playmakers. They're technical, they're, they're skilled with their feet. And it's amazing how one guy is completely out of the game and he's a non-factor. And then you got Odegaard who, you know, some people were even saying when he went to Madrid, that was too soon. There's a lot of, too much pressure. There was just too much, too many expectations on him to succeed and be a key man right away. And I think this is a prime example of a player who, you know what, I'll go on, I'll take a step back. I'm in really good competition. I'll play a key role for Sociedad. Nothing wrong with Sociedad. But he's able to be himself without that pressure mounting to succeed and to, to appease the fans and to appease the coach. And we're starting to see what his true colors are. He's He's got, he's got it. He's got the ability to be a world-class player. Um, if he keeps going this direction, of course, um, and, and you can see it when when players are able to play in certain positions like his and do it in a carefree manner at the top level, you know that speaks volumes as to where this kid is going. If he just keeps it at this pace, he's he's going to be uh, possibly I'm not going to guarantee anything, but there's a possibility that maybe he finds his way back into Madrid and he's you know um, you know being a regular uh, a feature for them because you know. They're always looking to bring these guys back, right? Obviously, we see Donny Ceballos at Arsenal. Um, they know what they got in certain players. And I think there's a reason why that they're only going to loan him out to Sociedad with the intentions of if he does play well and he keeps his pace, they can bring him back and he can be uh, one for the future at Madrid. I think he's, yeah, he's a sensational talent. I remember him at the time when he was like 15, 16 just going on trial to like literally every big club back in the day. And then he ended up at Real Madrid and then kind of just... I think stayed in their reserves for a year then he went to Holland and then obviously he's ended up at Sociedad and now he's really finding himself and he's kind of like their main man and he's uh, got them playing some some really really good football and just last shout out for La Liga Santi Cazorla's back in the Spain squad which is uh, which is ridiculous uh, considering he didn't play football for like nearly 700 days we covered him in one of the episodes with the, the horrible injury but he's been absolutely balling out for, for Villarreal this season so credit to him his, his attitude this positive kind of mental self and, and just to keep going after that injury and then get back into the Spain squad is, is really unbelievable Oh yeah, uh, you know, we, we as you mentioned, we talked about Cazorla on uh, previous episodes, and you know, as an Arsenal fan, I bet you this hits a little bit more home mm. too, because obviously there was, you know, everything indicated that he was going to be done with football, that he wasn't going to be able to uh, play at a high level, let alone, you know, he would be lucky enough that, you know, according to what the doctors were saying, that he'd be able to walk around with his kid, and that thing strikes you, right? You know, on on a, on a human level, first and foremost, aside from just sport, but the fact that he's able to come back. And not only come back, but like like be a, a very good player and be the player that he once was and get back into the Spain squad. 
It's a, it's a fantastic story. It's and it's it's one of those stories that you look back on, and this is this is why we love this sport so much. Not just the goals and and everything like that. That's obviously great, but just seeing players and you know when these players put so much into the game, and they go in, they get injured, only to come back and and come back strong and better than ever. It's fantastic. Uh, shout out to Santi uh, for making his way back to the Spain squad, and I, I hope to see some more top football from him uh, going forward. Yeah, it's going to be good to watch him while he's still around, which is, uh, yeah, amazing guy, always smiling, great footballer. Uh, on to outside the top five leagues, Matt, because you know we like to uh, sprinkle a little bit of MLS into this show. Uh, we've got a question here from Enrique, at Enrique underscore V23. How many years do you guys think it will take for the MLS to be as good as the Mexican League or better? Well, first off, Enrique, thank you for the question and for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, this is a tough one, and I think it's 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 one of those questions where it's so hard to define because there's a lot of moving parts within Major League Soccer. It's not like the other leagues, which is why, obviously, on this podcast, we, we separate it, right? Top five leagues <laughs> plus MLS. Um, the clubs are the club's franchises. They're run more like franchises than they are as clubs. The league itself is a little bit more different in terms of structure, um, with, with regards to how players move about. And I think, you know, that's something that Zlatan Ibrahimovic even alluded to, is that in order for the league to grow, I think there has to be some some barriers broken down with regards to being able to, for players to, or clubs or franchises, if you will, to be able to buy certain players and to ultimately help the league grow and, and not be so uh, caught up in certain restrictions and rules and, and handicapping certain clubs from wanting to make that next step. I think it's obviously heading in a positive direction. You know, there's a lot, there's a great South American influence that's taking over the league in the past couple of years with obviously Atlanta United, um, what they were able to accomplish. They got Joseph Martinez as a wonderful player. Uh, I followed him a little bit at Torino. Um, he's taken the league by storm. Then you also have Diego Rossi at LAFC, who've done, they've done sensational things in, in their second year. They won the Community Shield. So I think there are some positives to take from Major League Soccer, but I think it's worth noting that. Uh, in comparison to some of these other big leagues, obviously in this case we're comparing it to the Mexican League, Major League Soccer is still a baby. It's still an infant in its infancy stages, if you will, because most of the big leagues across the world are, in fact, they've been around for 80, 90, 100 years. The Premier League, Serie A, like in some way, shape, or form, maybe diff- under a different brand or different name, they've been around such a long time. Major League Soccer's only been around for 20-something years. So I think it's heading in the right direction. I don't think the model uh, is down, yeah. in my opinion. I think there's still some things that need to be worked out. I think if you're someone who's, um, like, perfect example today, right, decision day in Major League Soccer, all the games are being played at the same time to understand who is in the playoffs and who isn't, there's people looking at it and saying, okay, well, you know what, I want to watch a Major League Soccer game to see what this league's all about, right? Because you're seeing guys like Miguel Almiron go to Newcastle and, and play well, and they want to see what, the, what Major League Soccer has to offer as a, for an outsider. You look at it and you're saying, wait, DP, like uh, to allocation money, you know, discovery rights. Like it's it's a confusing league to kind of grasp if you're not you know, educated in it. Yeah. And I think ultimately if they're able to make the league a little bit more uh, friendly and accessible and understanding for those outsiders to get that outside audience in, I think that will only help Major League Soccer grow. Obviously, it helps having guys like Wayne Rooney. It helps having guys like Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Carlos Vela had a career year for LAFC. He's been sensational. Um, but I think if you want the league to grow, I think there's certain things that have to be done um, off the pitch 
and off uh, off the pitch and on, excuse me, to uh, help tailor it to your audience and help tailor it to the European game. I know I understand indiv- you want to be an, an individual. You don't want to say, well, you know, it's we're always being compared to the Premier League, and you're never going to be as big as the Premier League. We all know that. But I think you know between the playoff format, between all these clubs coming in each and every year, no relegation, the draft. It seems like it is more of a an outlier in the grand scheme of things of football because we think in every league relegation transfer season and it becomes more somewhat like a holiday right you know the final day of the season who gets promoted who wins the title who does this who does that so it seems like it's it's tough to really compare the two leagues but if we're going back to the main question is that when can we expect it to at least be as good as the Mexican league I think the Mexican league's talents better but I think at the same time, I think Major League Soccer has a lot of has given a lot of access to the league, which in this has in return has allowed the exposure to be increased, which obviously will does help uh, and bode well for the future. But I think it's going to take some time. I don't anticipate it being anytime soon in terms of the quality side, but in terms of how it's presented, how it's packaged, I think Major League Soccer is doing a fantastic job of trying to rival the Mexican League, and you know, with the idea of being better somewhere down the line. Awesome, awesome answer. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I can add any more words of wisdom to that. You're the you're the <laughs> you're the expert in the MLS. I did I did say something on WhatsApp where I said, you know, football might not ever be as popular in the US because you can draw games, and I don't think that's that kind of sits well with the the kind of classic American fan where you've got NFL and NBA. And I know I think uh, Martino pointed out that in the NFL you can draw, albeit very rarely. It, it, that kind of endorphin rush of going to a game and knowing that there's going to be a winner, you don't really get that with football. And, you know, you love football for different reasons. But if you kind of package football up like the NBA or NFL to some extent, which I think the MLS is trying to do or has done since its inception, then you're going to have to also give the same things, if that makes sense, those same endorphin rushes, which they just don't do. So why not just create a model that is very similar or parallel to the European game which I think but here's is, the thing though and, and, and we could talk about this and we talked about this on a previous episode I know for a fact we did I think Townsend, we took a deep yeah. dive um, on Major League Soccer but you know when the, the, I think it's tough for a lot of you know you, I mean I know you don't watch Major League Soccer but if you're looking at a game you know a playoff game LAFC you know some of the players you know what they're about you know they had a great season and then you're looking at it and you're saying wait a second they're playing a team that's you know or, you know, during a regular season game, for example, that's his better better one to use. Uh, let's say they're playing a team that's last in the league, right? And now you're so accustomed to thinking, well, you know, they're going to get relegated. The teams in this and Major League Soccer, they're not built and it's not sustainable for them to be relegated because what are they going to do? Go down to the bottom division? They got stadiums. They got uh, fans to worry. Like, imagine a team like LAFC with a state-of-the-art stadium, state-of-the-art facilities for training. Uh, this big brand, this big backing from Magic Johnson, Will Ferrell, Mia Han, no more Garcia Parra, just, you know, all these celebrities and all these players with, with money in, in stake in, in this club, would they be able to survive it being relegated? Like, or in a relegated format? Like, that's what you have to look at. And I think that's what's kind of tough for a lot of people, as you just mentioned, to grasp, among many other things, with the draw and everything like that. So... I don't see that ProRel is a conversation that's probably better suited for another podcast. And quite frankly, I'd love to get a guest on in the future to talk more about it and how they feel. But there are some things that Major League Soccer could do, in my opinion, to help 
uh, heighten the brand, help heighten the league itself and get it more exposure. We see so many times how um, we have the European clubs come over to the States in the summer and show off their clubs and it's you know a half-filled squad with some stars and some players that are on vacation and this and that what have you. Why not bring some major have, have a, an MLS European tour where some of these major league major league soccer clubs go and play in a, maybe a friendly competition, um, you know, in London or in, in in certain parts of England to give the exposure what our league is about, what this league's about. I think that's those are some short things, short term things that can be done to help major league soccer grow its brand in itself, but. There's a lot of, if you ask anybody, and we could even, you know, I'm sure we'll get John to, John Townsend back on again because I think he was the one that came on and talked about yeah. Major League Soccer and the U.S. Uh, men's national team and U.S. Soccer uh, Federation in, a, in its whole is there's there's ways to go. But it, the beauty about it is I think in terms of just the quality of play itself, it's it's improving and I think that's that's one step in the right direction. Yeah, let's let's see what happens with the MLS in the future and hopefully get, get John back on. It's time for our player profile now, Matt. So today we're going to be profiling uh, the one and only Gabriel Martinelli. Obviously, as an Arsenal fan and him being an 18-year-old Brazilian wonder kid, Matt, I thought it'd be a good idea to yeah cover this guy, who he's, who the plays like, what his ceiling is, where he came from, because he pretty much came out of nowhere. You know, when Edu was appointed the technical director before he was actually appointed the technical director uh, Arsenal were already kind of in talks and, and rumoured to be signing this kid who was on trial I think four or five times at Manchester United which is really weird he was playing in, in Serie D for Ipuano in, in Brazil and Arsenal snapped him up for £6 million which for me I thought was quite a bit considering he plays uh, he played at that lower level in Brazil but he's mm-hmm. kind of set the world on light, uh, a light at Arsenal two starts four goals and I don't know if you've seen any of the goals he scored Matt but the, the heading ability for a guy who's you know probably 5'8 five, five, 5'9 five, maximum is, is crazy and he's such a, a skinny kind of kid so to speak but he, he but like you know the explosiveness and the the tenacity and his kind of pressing and running style it really reminds me of kind of like a, a more mobile skinnier Luis Suarez in the in the way he runs and kind of runs past players but then it, his feet are quite quicker he's um he's a bit more aggressive in the way he runs at people uh, probably you know not as good a finisher as Luis Suarez but still very confident in his in his finishing in general like when he when he gets in front of goal he uh, he, he looks calm cool and collected and again the the heading prowess that he's shown so, thus far is is pretty ridiculous so if i had to liken him to one guy be kind of like a yeah skinnier smaller quicker Luis Suarez but interestingly uh Unai Emery said that he's actually better suited as a winger which is interesting because he started two games at number nine and scored four goals which you'd think you know okay this guy's gonna be a number nine for the rest of his career but it's gonna be really interesting to see this guy develop uh really exciting super fast can beat players really easily he's probably better at passing but I think he's going to shock a lot of people with his kind of passing but the the real excitement is going to be his kind of explosive running nature when he runs past you know three or four players slots it in uh, and kind of goes off celebrating wheeling off to, to the fans because he is uh, yeah he's just really exciting and 
the the kind of Emirates was was alive every time he got the ball, especially when it was on his hat trick. So uh, yeah, really interested to see where he goes. I think his ceiling could be pretty much anywhere considering he's so young we know so little about him we've come he's come from like a i think he was signed to corinthians futsal academy and then signed professional for ituano and now he's come to arsenal so it's been this kind of crazy rise to, to glory to fame and he's on the fast track yeah, yeah. pretty much um, but matt have you have you seen much of him i've seen a little bit of him i saw him uh midweek uh, in the Europa League, I think. You obviously could see certain players, and you have to take into account the competition he's against, and obviously we see it with certain players, right, where, you know, everyone just looks at goals, assist, oh, this guy's a star, and, you know, and then the headlines are taken off, right? I saw a couple from uh, various parts of English media where they were saying, like, the next or the new Ronaldo, and that's obviously just a ploy. That's it's something to sell clickbait, and it's and something to sell papers and clicks and all that stuff, but I think the biggest thing that, you know, if you're an Arsenal fan and you're an Arsenal in general, is that you don't have to feel Feel the pressure to uh, thrust this guy into uh, playing games consistently, playing um, you know starting games right away off a sort of performance that he had midweek in the Europa League, and I think that really bodes well for his future because how many times do we see a player where he looks good in one competition? Now there's that pressure from the fan base. Play this guy, he's good. What else? What do we have to lose? We have quite a bit to lose because you feel you have a good player on your hands and a good prospect to work with for the future. But the beauty about it is that Arsenal have attacking options. In other words, they have Aubameyang for him to learn under. They have Lacazette. You have Nicolas Pepe. Where you can play a guy like Martinelli in a certain cup match or bring him off the bench. And let's say you're winning 3-1 or 3-0 and you're saying, you know, let's give this guy 20 minutes or 15 minutes to go out there and play competitive in the in the Premier League so he can get his feet wet. There's no There's less pressure for him to... Uh, what if he's not scoring goals or what if he's not doing this what if he's not he can be himself on the field and he can grow accordingly at his own pace so I think that really does bode well for him as well I mean you mentioned he's a, he's still a kid he's gonna fill out we aren't quite sure what position he's gonna play moving forward but the beauty about it and not knowing or the, the mystery if you will and not knowing what position he's gonna play makes him more excited because if you have a player who can fill out in two different positions and you know he he's not quite in a, a clear-cut number nine who this guy can just hold up the ball and score goals but he's also not just a pacey player with no end product if you have a guy who can do a little bit of different things for you he's that much more of an asset he makes it that much more easier on your manager to accommodate him in certain tactical shapes and i think that's going to be the one of the interesting things to watch with um, martinelli throughout this entire season at least is how he's utilized because we obviously know with the Premier League and, and, and a lot of the Premier League clubs, is there's a lot of competitions, there's cup competitions, and then more than any other league in, in the top five. So he's going to get opportunity. When you keep playing like this, he's going to get his opportunities in some capacity. And I think that's what's going to be a key factor for him is that he can keep that positive momentum going without being confined to play right away, have that pressure, and meet that, that unrealistic expectation of being the new Ronaldo, because no one's going to be the new Ronaldo, speaking on R9 here, of course. <laughs> no one's going to be that guy. He's a uh, once-in-a-generation type player. He's going to be Gabriel Martinelli, and I think that's what you have to try and help with the kid, is that you know you, you, you can't expect the guy after you know two starts and four goals, well, we have something, we have a superstar on our hands, let's keep playing the kid. You could keep playing him. But you got to make sure you ease them in and you're allowing the kid to grow in a, in a great environment and in a healthy environment that bodes well for him long term. And I think that's going to be uh, one of the biggest things that Arsenal have to look for with this kid. But yeah, you know, to wrap it up, I know I'm giving you the long response here. <laughs> He's a player to be excited about if you're an Arsenal fan. There's always something special about a player that is scouted, is brought in, 
and then you get it right with him, and he grows with the team. I think I love that with my, I see that with certain players, like at Milan, for instance, with John, uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma. You just feel like a different traction to the player, aside from one that you buy on the market, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you like the player that's kind of, you know, kind of came through maybe the system a bit, you know, is getting the opportunity, and is making a name for himself at your club. Yeah, and I think he might have an Italian passport, if I'm not mistaken. So, uh, Matt, keep an eye. He might be... Uh, <laughs> you never know, right? It's, it happened with Jorginho, so... Uh, Jorginho, Emerson. Yeah. No, maybe, maybe he... Hey, listen, we need attackers. <laughs> you know, we, we our midfield, I think, is pretty sorted out. Defensively, I think we're okay. And goalkeepers, we have plenty. Uh, you know, if he, this guy can play striker and he keeps scoring goals, who knows? Maybe he gets a call from Mancini. But <laughs> <laughs> I think he sees a future with the Brazilian national team if he keeps this up. So, uh, g- good on him to... Uh, to uh, hit the ground running with Arsenal. Yeah, he's uh, certainly an exciting prospect. But Matt, I think we've we've gone longer than we thought we would, and uh, we have yeah. uh, both rambled on for a long while. We always we, we always do that. Happens. But I think look, the, <laughs> what better way to do it on the first episode yeah. back, right? I think that's you know we had a lot to say, and I think you know we did quite a bit uh, of covering our bases and giving uh, our our listeners a, a good uh, introduction or reintroduction, if you will, of the State of Play podcast. Yeah, where, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so you guys can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo, doing a lot of writing. I have some things behind the scenes I'm working on you guys should know more about in the next month or two. But yeah, exciting times once again to have this podcast back up and running uh, with Petrard, of course, and uh, Martino, who uh, will be appearing on some episodes down the line, but giving us that big help, that big boost behind the scenes to really help further the State of Bay pod and deliver a more enjoyable uh, experience for you guys as a listener. Thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Petparisha, P-E-T-B-E-R-I. SHA, tweet about football, mainly Arsenal and you know how poorly they usually perform um, and stuff like that and if you guys want to email us, you can hit us up at stateofplaypod at gmail.com as Matt mentioned, we've got this partnership with uh, Big Heads which will be kind of rolling out, so if you hear any ads on the show in the next few weeks then don't be shocked, we've not been hacked, we've not been taken over, it's legit it's uh, it's just like a, a partnership that we've set up with these guys and they're really uh, helping fuel the content and fuel the podcast going forward, thank Thank you guys very much for oh, listening. Oh, uh, I, I'm sorry. One last, one more thing. And one last thing. And one last thing, guys. If you guys want to hear any specific guests, I know with this episode we didn't have a guest that comes on, but that's just something to expect from us moving forward is that we will have more guests on. So if you want to hear more about Major League Soccer, the Premier League, uh, Serie A, uh, make sure you guys are sending us an email, a DM, or tweeting at us if you want to see some more guests, and we'll do our best to uh, make that happen for you. And, of course, subscribe tell your friends about us and um, yeah once again we appreciate the support and we look forward to putting more content out there for you thank you guys very much for watching watching listening and have a great day doing whatever you're doing cheers <laughs>